Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I'm excited because this is our final part of our God First series. How many enjoyed our God First series? Come on. It's been amazing hearing Pastor Jacob what it means to have a God-first marriage and Miss Michelle and what it means to have a God-first life and what that really looks like. And I want to remind you of what Pastor Jacob has said for the past three weeks, that if this is going to be the best year of your life, then it's going to have to be the best spiritual year of your life. It just will. Because we are spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience on earth. Now, now, if I'm to pull all of you right now, I, I think that most of you would agree with that statement right there, that we are spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience on earth. You're in church because you know there's something more. There's something bigger. There is something greater. And so we're having this pull spiritually, but yet how many know, come on, we can absolutely get distracted from the spiritual and go right into the physical. It is just the truth because I believe and many of you believe that there, there, there's that spirit side of you, but the problem isn't whether we believe it or not. The problem is this. It's how do we continue to believe it, right? Come on. There's so much going on in the world. And every time we leave a sermon, we leave service, we leave whatever we're going. Yes. And amen. Yes. And amen. But is it just me or does it feel like the world just ends up caving on on everything that I believe right there? Everything that God just broke, everything that just expanded my view, all of a sudden begins to cave in. And it is difficult, if we're honest this morning, to sustain a God-first life in this world. Amen? It's difficult. Now, how many of you watched the Super Bowl last week? Come on, Super Bowl. Everybody else was praying. Awesome. Good for you. <laughs> you watched the Super Bowl last week. And I'm watching it and I'm, I'm realizing that like the Super Bowl has very little to do with football. Let me just be honest with you. Like if you think about it, it's all about like commercials or who's doing the halftime show or how long the national anthem is going to be and who's singing it and what they're going to play and all the festivities before and then the Super Bowl party, what you're going to have layout and spread. How is it going to work? What TV are you watching? Like we get so distracted and we forget that the main thing is there are 22 men on that field, coaches and referees, whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins the championship. We make it way too complicated. And if we get distracted, come on, if we get distracted by something like the Super Bowl, how much deeper is it and easier for us is it to get distracted by the physical instead of the spiritual? It's just the truth. We live in a distraction-filled world. And the problem is, listen to this, we've all been here, I've been here. When you get distracted, you get stuck. I mean like stuck, stuck, right? Think about it for a moment. When you get distracted, when you get off of the spiritual and you get onto the physical world, you just get stuck. And I believe the greatest weapon the enemy has, it is not satanic, it is not demons, it, those are obvious. What, it, what is the greatest weapon that the enemy uses? A distraction. It's just busyness. 
And it's distracting us from the glory that God has for us because here's what the enemy knows and here's what he fears. If you truly understood the God that was inside of you, you would break free and nothing would be impossible for you. But the problem is he condenses us down and convinces us that we're stuck. And so we're okay living this mediocre life and just kind of being good enough. When God has called us to break free, to break up, to level up, to begin to be something more than what we are. Inside of you, many of you resonate just with that right now. Your spirit is like, it's, it's starting to flame because you know that is the truth. And this morning, I wanna help us because how many of you ever been stuck and distracted? Come on, am I the only one? Okay, if you lie, you fry, Pastor Jacob told me. <laughs> just know. I know I have. But this morning, I want to share with you the key to getting unstuck, the key to sustaining a God-first life. Now, you might be going, here goes pastor. He's going to say more Bible reading. He's going to say more prayer. He's going to say, you better give more, right? Come on. (laughs) He's going to say, I need to attend church longer. I need to do this or I need to do that. And all of those things are wonderful. Can I tell you? But that's not what I'm going to say. Because those are great things and those are amazing to helping you stay a God first life. But I don't believe that's the key. How many of you know, go, I want to know what's, what's the key to sustaining a God first life? This is a, It's crazy. Many of you want to know. Some of you don't. That's okay. <laughs> and some of you are going to get so mad at me when I say this. I'm just going to be honest. You're going to be like, oh, he said it. The key to sustaining a God first life is other people. Now, your mind didn't explode. You're not like, oh my gosh, right? How do you know that, Pastor Chris? I'm going to show you in just a second in scripture where this is huge. But more importantly, look at the year 2020. Now, none of us could go, that was the best year of my life, right? Why? Because you were alone. So was I. We missed out on something that was transcendent to a location or transcendent to a message. We don't need more information. We need transformation. We need interaction. Sermons don't save people. I'm going to say that again. Sermons don't change people. God does. And he often uses broken vessels like me and like you to do that. It is the glory of God. We need help in this walk. And if we need help in this God first life, we need to make sure that we are doing it with others because it requires other people. We can't do this alone. So I want to turn and I want to look in scripture this morning. I want to look in the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter eight. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But the book of Acts is fascinating and amazing because it's really what happens is it's the explosion of the first century church. And I encourage you to go and you could read Acts. It's almost like a movie. It's like a story. It's beautiful. And it's wonderful in the fact that you see that the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two. Jesus is the resurrected. He is ascended into heaven where he sits as king of kings and Lord of lords. And he said, when I go, I'm going to send a helper to you. And he sent a helper in the name of the Holy Spirit. 
and it's his spirit and he's here with us. And all of a sudden, Acts chapter two, we see an outburst of that Holy Spirit where it manifests and all of a sudden the church explodes from 12 people or 120 in the upper room to now thousands are coming to know Jesus. And it's this journey and exploration of really what Jesus said that his message is gonna be spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter eight, we see that it's not about Paul who becomes a central figure or Peter who becomes a central figure because Peter goes to the Jews, Paul goes to the Gentiles to preach the message of Jesus Christ. But in Acts chapter eight, we enter into a story where it's about a man named Philip. Philip was deemed by the apostles as someone who can go spread the message, by someone who can help. And he's going, and as he goes, he runs into an interesting character, and there's an interaction that begins to take place that I want you to see, and I want you to grasp this morning. Because if we can get this message, I'm telling you, things in your life will begin to drastically change. And as in Acts chapter 8, we enter in with Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, In Acts chapter eight, here's what it says in verse 26. It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. How many of you want an angel of the Lord speak to you? Come on. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of her entire treasury. He had to come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So pause. We begin to enter into this story and we see that Philip is obeying the Lord and just going, Lord, where do you want me to go? You want me to go here? I'll go here. And he ends up going and runs into an Ethiopian. Now, this man was not from Jerusalem, but he worshiped the same God. He was not a Jew, but he worshiped the same God. And so this man was, didn't grow up knowing God, but he had a God first desire. Put yourself in this situation. He had a God first desire. He wasn't from that country. He didn't have that skin tone. He didn't speak that language. Yet God said, I want this man. And so Philip said, okay. And he had a God first desire. So Philip begins running over there. And here's what ends up happening. Verse 29, the the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, this is what I want to zero in on this morning. Lock in, this is huge. Here's what the Ethiopian said. He said, how can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited, everybody say invited. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. If we're honest this morning, I believe many of us are too afraid or too prideful to ask that question. What question is that? The same question the eunuch had, which was this. How can I know unless someone guides me? Pause for a moment. How can we know unless someone guides us? I believe many of us are too afraid and too prideful to ask that question. I know at one point I was and part of me still is. And so every day I try to crucify that flesh side of me so I can just go, God, I want to receive your best. And so what do we end up doing, church? Because we don't want to ask that question. 
We fake it till we make it. Come on, somebody, right? We fake it till we make it. How many of you heard it? Fake it till you make it. You're just gonna go about your time. You're gonna, I, I, I do this often when I go into the hardware store, Lowe's, Home Depot, right? I so desperately want to be handy. I didn't grow up. I grew up on sports. I didn't grow up like learning how to do all those cool things. And so I marvel at people who can do, you know, carpentry or electrical work, all that stuff. So, so I just, I, I, I go in there. Usually I'm looking for just one item, like a light bulb, you know, but I want to go in and act like I'm looking for something like steel and wood and stuff. <laughs> I go in there, I put my boots on and I put my hat on and put my sunglasses on my hat because that's what you're supposed to do when you walk in there and... And I walk in there and, and a nice man or woman comes up and they're like, oh, hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I act like I'm looking around, like I'm, I'm really scoping out the place at Lowe's or Home Depot. And I'm looking around and I'm going, I'm good. And they're like, hey, do you need some help finding something? And I'm like, do I look like I need to know where to find something? I don't do that at all. I look at them and I go, nah, I'm good. I'm not good at all. I spend the next hour just walking because I don't know where it is. I'm trying to find like a little bolt or screw and I just, I don't know where the screws are. So I just walk up and down the aisles until I find the aisle with screw, right? And I'm in this place. I'm acting like I know what I'm doing, like I know where things are, but really I'm on my phone looking up a YouTube video about what the thing actually looks like. And then I'm looking at the app on, on Home Depot so I can find exactly in the store where it is. Why? All the while, I'm just afraid to ask a question. How can I know unless someone guides me? And so I just end up faking it. And then I end up acting like it. And I'm just telling you right now, I know that sounds so silly, but I don't walk out any better. I walk out more foolish. When someone could have informed me and probably more than I needed to know, I instead walk out with my phone and something I don't even know that will work. Because I don't want to ask the question, how will I know unless someone guides me? You see, technology has fooled us in our day into thinking we don't need people anymore for information. How many of you remember when salesmen of encyclopedias would come around and they would want to sell it to you? You can get this for $399 right here, A to Z, or just buy A and B for $30, right? And you have this incomplete encyclopedia, but you have to go there and pull it out. You remember a card catalog system, right? Where you actually had to go to a book to find information. This is one of the first generations that they don't have to come to us in order to get information. They have it in the palm of their hand. But information doesn't transform people. It doesn't. And many times it's because we don't understand that the currency of the kingdom of heaven isn't information, it's relationships. But we think we need to know more in order to do more. No, 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 no. You do more so you can know more. And when you know more, you believe more. When you believe more, you begin walking it out more. And that takes its shape in so many aspects because whether you know it or not, we all start out looking for information. You might be going to a small group and you might go, I just wanna learn about marriage. I wanna learn about like the Bible and stuff. And you go there and can I tell you, you get way more than just learning information. You get way more out of that because a small group is a collective of people who are asking the question, how can I know unless someone guides me? 
It's a collective of people that say, I just, I wanna grow closer to God. I wanna grow closer to other people. I want to grow, but how will I know unless someone guides me? And we begin to look at it completely different. But asking that question, how many of you guys know, it takes something to do that. What does it take, Pastor? I'm glad you asked the question. I think the Ethiopian really shows us what it takes. Remember, he's a prominent high official. He takes care of money. He is a powerful man. And he is there and he is regal. But he asked a very simple question. How can I know unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip up. That, I believe that took two things. Here's what it took. It took discovery and it took humility. It took discovery, which discovery is being able to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to go on a journey to find out. I don't know, but I'm willing to go on a journey to discover. Anytime we stop trying to discover the amazing glory and goodness of God, that's the time we stop growing. Why do you say that, Pastor Chris? Because those who think they really know God, you've yet to come to know but the fringes of who he is. Scientists are still trying to figure out how much the, the universe is expanding at what capacity. They can't even reach the end of the universe. Watch this. How much more do we think we know the God who spoke that into existence? that he's all powerful, that he's omnipotent, omnipresent. He is everywhere at all time, can do anything he wants, yet he chooses to dwell with us, his people. Now, if we stop discovering who he is, then we stop growing in who he wants us to be. But it doesn't just take discovery. You can't just find out. There has to be humility too. And humility is being able to say, I can't do this alone. And the eunuch was willing to do both of those things. And because he had discovery about what God's word said and humility that he knew he couldn't do it alone, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, here's my question to you this morning. Who have you invited to come sit with you? If I'm gonna sit here and it's gonna be the best year of your life spiritually, you might be going, I'm just going to church. That's awesome. I started reading my Bible. Hey, that's, that's great, Pastor. I love that. I started praying, man, that's awesome. Pray with your wife. Not yet, because I'm afraid to pray in public, but still, hey. That's great. But who are you sitting with? Who are you sitting with? Because Philip was willing, excuse me, the Ethiopian eunuch was willing to say, hey, how can I know unless someone guides me? Hey, come up in my chariot. Let's ride together. Let's ride in this chariot. We'll, we'll rock it out. Come on, let's go. Let's read the word. Sitting in this chariot will drive down the road. I need to know because something happens when you're willing to sit with others in a group. Something happens that you can't get anywhere else. I'm gonna give you three things that happen when we sit with, when decide to sit with others. Three things that happen when we decide to sit with others. And I'm gonna show you through scripture of what happens to this eunuch. Here's, here's the first one. When you sit with others, here's what you get. You get understanding about spiritual things. Things you couldn't know before, you begin to know. Here's what happens, verse 32 in Acts chapter eight. Now the scripture passage that the eunuch was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shear, so does he not open his mouth. 
In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. So the eunuch all of a sudden goes and tries to ask about this one scripture he's reading. And he had an incomplete view of the Bible. He had the Old Testament, but he didn't know the New Testament was there. Come on. He had no idea. And what he wanted was knowledge and scripture. He wanted to know what he was talking about and what he was reading, but he got something so much more. Can I tell you, he wanted knowledge, but he got a savior instead. Because when you sit with others, you begin to get clearance and you begin to get revelation on spiritual things that you couldn't do by yourself in a closet. I'm just telling you, you just can't do it because we're not meant to do this alone. So we get understanding of this because information, information is what he wanted, but he got redemption instead. He got transformation through the blood of Jesus. This reminds me so much of the church, just this interaction and what has happened. Because many times we believe that we've come to church. Hey, did you go to church today? And you might go, yeah, I watched it online. Like, and that's great. I'm so thankful for our online church, especially when you're out of town or sick or can't come or whatever the case may be. But there's nothing like being a person, we said. And the reason is, is because something happens when the collective group gets together and we begin praying and worshiping and reading God's word together and learning and growing. Something different happens. And so many times we think that a sermon equals church. A sermon can equal church because the church is about relationships. And only the spirit, only spiritual people can understand spiritual things. And so the church has to get together. But it's not just here on a Sunday for an hour. How many know it has to be outside of here? It has to be something more. Because most people don't need information. Can I just be honest with you? Some of you are going, if I knew more about the Bible, I would share more. People don't want information. You know what they need? They need interaction. You know what they really need? They need a hug. Come on, somebody. They just need a hug. Some of you right now, Looking at your face, you didn't need a hug right now. I love you, but you're looking at me like I'm the boogeyman. I don't even know. You just need a hug. How do you know that, Pastor Chris? Because it's literally what I deal with on a Sunday on a daily basis. You know how many theological questions I get on a Sunday? Maybe one. Do you know how many hugs I give out on a Sunday? Hundreds. Matter of fact, last week I had a woman come up to me. It was in, right after service, right after this service. I was walked into the back saying hey to everybody and everybody emptied and she kind of stayed behind and she shuffled up to me and she just said, uh, Pastor? I said, yeah. She goes, I'm lost. I said, you're what? She's, I'm lost. And in that moment, I could have given her a three-point sermon. I could have broken down. Hey, let me talk about the Beatitudes real quick. Let me... She didn't need the Beatitudes. She needed my attitude towards her. And she proceeded to tell me her story. And she proceeded to tell me how stuck she felt. And I began to just listen to her. So tell me about it. I just sat with her. Listen, all we did was sit together. It's not because I'm a pastor. And I just recognize and I just go, can I tell you, can I encourage you? She said, okay. I said, you're on the right track. She said, I am. I said, you are. 
all of a sudden, this light went off. I, I said three words. You're on the right track. I mean, that's, that's all I did. Because she didn't need information. She needed encouragement. She needed a hug. She needed someone to sit with her and make sure she knew that she was going down the right path. People don't need information. And so she got understanding of where she was spiritually in a moment. Why? Not because she heard a sermon, not because she went to church, but because she was willing to say, how can I know unless someone guides me? That's all she was saying. And I got to give her a hug and pray for her and be with her. And that's what we have to be willing to do. We have to be willing to sit because you get spiritual understanding when that happens. But it can't end with understanding. It just begins with understanding because revelation, listen to me, revelation without application is just a good thought. I'm gonna say that really. I'm gonna say that again for those of you who love that, that revelation. Revelation, a good thought from God. It's a spiritual awareness and awakening that you couldn't get on your own. A revelation from God is just a good thought without application or a practical aspect to it. And so we see here that the eunuch begins to do something just like that. Matter of fact, number two is this. When you sit with others, you give movement in your spiritual walk. You get understanding about spiritual things, which then unlocks your movement in your spiritual walk. Listen to what happened to the eunuch after he was talking with Philip in Acts chapter eight, verse 36. It says this, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What keep, kept, keeps me from being baptized? There goes a question again. He's not making statements. He's asking questions. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried, carried Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. So we see Philip introduce this eunuch to the savior of the world, Jesus. So he gets this spiritual understanding because he sat together in Philip's small group. Come on, right? That was Philip's small group. And they sat together and they discussed Jesus. But then all of a sudden it led to something else because it wasn't about just becoming a Christian. It was about following Jesus's example. Come on, listen to me. You can be a Christian and believe in Jesus, but you don't become a disciple until you start following Jesus's example. I want everybody here to be a Christian, but more than anything else, I want you to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, following his example. And so that's what the eunuch did. He then just took his next step. He had movement there and he drove, watch this. How cool is God? He provides opportunities in the desert where there was no water. He provided water. Some of y'all missed that because he's driving along on a desert road and there happens to be a pool of water for him to get baptized in just as Philip was talking about being baptized as his next step. Some of you are praying for opportunities to move when you don't realize the water's already right there. You just gotta move. You just have to move. The problem is we're stuck by ourselves and so we reason everything out and we never get movement in our spiritual walk. And so here we have Philip and the eunuch in a small group getting baptized. And that is discipleship. 
Listen to me. But it wouldn't have happened without him sitting with one another and being in that group. Why? Because of one word that no one likes here because it always has a negative connotation is the reason that he was able to do that is because of accountability. You're going, oh. Accountability. People think it's like accountability. They think, oh, well, that's just so I don't do bad things. That might be true, but it's also accountability to step out and do good things. Come on. How do I know that? Because it's something called a herd mentality. How many of you heard that, that phrase herd mentality, right? We had baptisms here a few, uh, last month, uh, and it was amazing because we had spontaneous ones. And we had 122 people come forward. 122 and to get water baptized. Okay, that's amazing, number one. Number two, let me say this right now. There's a little bit of a herd mentality that went into it too. It's like, why am I walking forward? I, I guess everybody's walking forward, you know? Why am I getting these clothes on? Why am I in the water, right? And you might be going, well, that's just bad motivation. Okay. What I love about our God is that he takes bad motivations and turn them into right actions. How do you know that, Pastor Chris? Because I know some of you came to church single, ready to mingle. That's what you want. But instead, you came for singleness, but you're getting a whole lot of Jesus. And that's the glory of God. He doesn't care what your motivations are. You might be going to a small group going, I don't need this. I just, I just want to go to please my wife. That's fine. Just go. Because <laughs> when you get there, you're going to be like, oh, this is amazing. Right? God can correct it, but we need accountability to do that. And it's a great mentality to do it. And that's why I love this herd mentality because I love our freedom groups for that very reason. Yet freedom, freedom is a group where you're breaking off hurts, habits, and hangups. You go through a curriculum. Then at the very end, you go through a, a conference together, a two-day conference. It's amazing, wonderful. And people are walking in broken, hurting, bound up. And when you come together, the herd mentality is, is you conform around the belief of the group. And then the belief of the group begins to believe that, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit can break this off of me and I have the power inside me to do that. I have the power to cast this off of me. And you're like, you're right. And all of a sudden, where you felt like you, were, you couldn't do it, now you're on fire and you're breaking off generational curses that were passed down. Listen to me, you don't have to live in your anger from your grandfather that was passed down to your father, that now you scream the same way as your dad does and you're going, why won't this stop? You can end it with you now so your, your son doesn't have to deal with it. But it takes a willingness to step out and to get into that group, to form that grouping habit as the herd does that. Maybe you're stuck here spiritually. Maybe you are. But the question is, who are you sitting with? Who are you sitting with? Because you're conforming to a herd one way or another. You just get to choose which herd you want to conform to. The world is molding you whether you know it or not. I just want to choose to be the herd mentality of what God is doing in God's people. But there's something else that happens that you get when you sit with others. And number three, this is where we close this morning. When you sit with others, you get empowered to make an impact where you are. You get empowered to make an impact where you are.
Pastor Chris, where does that say that in Scripture? It doesn't, not in this story. You might be wondering what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was taken away by the Spirit of the Lord, we read, but then it says he went on his way rejoicing. Whatever happened to him? We don't read about him again in Scripture. We don't know what happened to him officially, but there is wide speculation and there's a lot that is known there around this fact that this Ethiopian went back to his village, went back to his town and he began spreading the gospel there, but it didn't just stop in his village. I don't know if you know this, but when you begin to sit with others and you're empowered, your impact doesn't just stop with your family. It never stops with your family. And so it affected his family, which then affected the village, which then went to his country of Ethiopia and then beyond that to his region in Africa. And it is widely known and speculated that this one encounter, because he invited Philip to sit with him, brought the gospel to the entire continent of Africa because of one man willing to ask a question, willing to invite someone to sit with him. Listen to this. Listen to this. Because one man was willing to do that, families were restored because of it. Because he was willing to do that, people were healed miraculously and still happening today. Because he was willing to ask the questions, addictions were broken, hope was birthed, millions and possibly billions of lives were saved, weren't going to hell, but were going to heaven eternally. Think about the empowerment and the impact that he had because he was willing to invite someone to come sit with him. And you're going, well, that, that, that can't happen with me. I, I mean, I'm not Billy Graham or anything. I'm not going to reach the continent of Africa. Listen to me. Look at me. I don't think the eunuch went back going, I'm going to reach the continent of Africa. He didn't even know what Africa was. But you know what he was willing to do? He was willing to be empowered so he could make an impact in his family. Men, you need a group so you can impact your wife and your kids. Wives, you need a group because you need to impact your husband who maybe isn't sitting here with you but watching online or maybe he doesn't want to come to church or maybe it's your children. We just need to ask the question. You know why I love groups? Because God has used groups to help Michelle and I become better parents. Right before 2020, we got into a parenting group because we realized, how can I know unless someone guides me? It is crazy that God gives you a baby and says, figure it out. Here you go. And the hospital's like, I'm like, is there a manual with this thing? So like, what do I do, you know? And you take it home and all of a sudden you parent the way that you were parented. And we all were broken in parenting. I'm just saying, we're all dysfunctional. And you begin it. Can I just tell you, we just go, how can we know unless someone guides us? So we got into a parenting small group and it changed our marriage. It changed our parenting. It changed the way that we view the Bible and the way that we interact with our children and how we're steering them. But all because I was willing to ask a question, how can I know unless someone guides me? And now can I just tell you, my kids will be better parents because I was willing to ask that question. When you sit with others, you get empowered to be on mission right where you are. Some of you, your mission field is your family. It's your wife, 
your husband, your family. And it's not to preach the gospel. Listen to me. It's to be the gospel where you are. You can be empowered. You have no idea the impact that your group, that wherein you sit with others, the impact it will have on your family. When I was a youth pastor about six years ago, Michelle and I, we, we started a, a small group with some high school students and we just felt the Lord lead us. They started a small group. We said, done. We had them in our home, about 15 of them, every single week for almost a year. And we had them in our home. We broke bread with them. And the great part about it, our kids were around to see the whole thing. I'll never forget, I have a picture on my phone of my five-year-old, six-year-old son, and he's sitting in between two high school seniors, and he's, and he's just looking up. And he's watching us. Can I tell you right now, church? All of those students that were in our home, they're all still in the church. Many of them are serving the church and in ministry. And they're now getting jobs, contributing to society. They're now healthy and wonderful. And they're going to have families that are impacted. Matter of fact, they come back to this church and they still talk about that small group. But can I tell you what it's done for me and Michelle? Our kids still ask about that small group. They see that mommy and daddy are putting God first. And that, that has to do with other people. And you might be going, well, pastors, I'm away from my kids a lot. I understand that but you're setting a foundation for them. If you want God first, it means God is first, not them. And you say, mommy and daddy are going to small group tonight. And you get a babysitter and you put them and you're going, oh no, I feel so guilty. You don't have to. You're setting a precedent for them to follow. And that impact will not just impact them. It'll impact their, your grandkids, your great, great, great grandkids to come. It is generational. We just have to ask the question, how will I know unless someone guides me? And are you truly courageous enough to ask that question and begin to join a group? Because only then will you see the impact of what God is doing through it. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're a good and amazing God. You call us not to information, but to relationships. You call us into a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. You call us into a relationship with others, God. We cannot avoid this. We can't get around it. And Lord, though some of our personalities maybe aren't bent towards being around people, we need one another, God. And in this desperate time that we live in now where revival is beginning to break out, raindrops of revival are here, spreading out all across this nation. We need now more than ever to bond together because as your light begins to shine in this nation, darkness will creep forward, Lord. And it'll begin separating those that stand in the light and those that choose to stand in the dark, God. And so we need guidance, God. We need one another. So God, I pray you interrupt our lives. You tear down our traditions as we sung about God. You interrupt everything that we might hold sacred that isn't of you, God. And we begin to take the courageous step to ask the question, how can I know unless someone guides me? With all heads bowed and all eyes closed this morning, what I know to be true is this. You cannot get saved or born again 
just joining a group. It only comes through Jesus. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning to come into a relationship with him before you begin coming into a relationship with others. How do I do that, Pastor Chris? As simple as A, B, C. A, we just admit we're sinners in need of a Savior. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover our past, present, future sins. And C, we confess him as Lord and Savior of our life. It's not just about getting to heaven. It's about understanding how to live out heaven here on earth. Maybe you've been in church for a while, but you've never committed your life to Jesus. Now is an opportunity And I'm just going to say a prayer. And if you go, Pastor Chris, include me in that born again prayer. On the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand at me. I'm not going to embarrass you. No one's looking but me. But if you want to be included in that born again prayer, and that's you this morning, on the count of three, you can raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise it high. Lift it, wave it at me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Awesome. 15, 16. Wonderful. 17. You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. So for those who didn't raise their hand, maybe you're here and you're going, I should have raised my hand. If you raised it once, you don't ever have to raise it again. Jesus was only crucified once. He wasn't crucified multiple times. And so if that's you in here, I want you to raise your hand now. If you said, Pastor Chris, include me in that born again prayer. That's me in here. I see you. 18. Wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. 19. I see you. 20. Well, church, with all those hands that were raised this morning, let's say this prayer together. Repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my father. Jesus is now my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.